So again, we're talking about community today, relationship, the abundance of relationship, and the way we interact with one another here and across the globe. And on one hand, we're more connected with our fellow human beings than we ever have been before. No longer do we have to wait weeks or even months for a written correspondence to travel great distance to its recipient. Depending on the speed of one's connection, an email can be delivered to the furthest reaches of the planet in a matter of seconds. Network-based remote work and learning environments are allowing the exchange of ideas, talents, and cultural knowledge to a far greater number of people than at any time in our history. The rise of the internet and social media replacing, or at least supplanting, traditional media as the way we interact with the rest of the world has vastly shifted our perspective. Whereas 50 years ago, <clears throat> or even 20 years ago, really, we received information mostly from large, independent or government-run outlets like newspapers, NPR, and the CBS Evening News. And now we have the internet where consolidation sites like Google News and YouTube collect and assemble information from myriad sources into a single platform where you might see an op-ed piece from the New York Times across from a random blogger's view of the current state of affairs and really everything in between. Indeed, individual communication has never been easier. We are a like button click or a right swipe away from letting someone else know how we feel. And if you include snail mail as one of the legitimate ways to uh, reach someone, there are at least four or five different ways to contact most of us. We keep up with each other's status updates, maintain our friends lists, and comment and share information quickly, indiscriminately, and sometimes without verifying the author's sources or motivations. Conversely, unlike in Centuries past, when the written word was limited to those with the power and privilege of printing press technology, or even further back than that, with the power of scribes, almost exclusively controlled by states and institutions with power, now individuals may publish writings without the filters of an editor or the opinion of a government to get in the way. Now we feel this dichotomy every day, recognizing the brilliant immediacy with which we can learn of an event from the cell phone videos of those who were there, but lamenting also the flood of fake news and phishing posts designed for only one purpose, to get clicks and, in turn, advertising revenue. As amateur journalism gets more real, Established institutional journalism gets more sensationalist, and so on to the point it can become dizzying. Even those of us who haven't joined the Facebook generation and aren't trolling social media for clicks have a more direct experience with media than in decades past. We embrace a celebrity culture, 
hanging on the latest gossip of breakups and pregnancies, rehabs and reconciliations, as if the lives of pretty people thousands of miles away were actually part of our own. Some folks I know feel they are closer to the host on the home shopping network or a syndicated game show than they are to their own family members. And we've begun to believe the falsehood of having a personal relationship with celebrity. Now, to be fair, I've never met Tom Brady, but as soon as I do, I know we'll be very fast friends. <laughs> and he'll want me to be the chaplain on his private jet to the Bahamas. He's <laughs> waiting for that call. So yes, on one hand, we're more connected than ever before. But, and as you know, there's always a but. In many ways, we're more isolated than we've ever been. If we have the privilege and inclination to do so, we would never really need to leave the house. Using smartphones connected to electronic banking, our groceries, clothing, cleaning supplies, linens, correspondences, can all be delivered to our front door via Amazon or Uber Eats or Walmart Online or any number of other avenues. In fact, there was a period in my life about 15 years ago when I rarely left my own basement apartment in Boston, pulled away working on uh, websites and the like, paying little mind to the time of day, or really even the time of year, and having only the interaction of my roommate, an occasional visit from my girlfriend to supplement the time spent online. As such, I, I may have been a decade ahead of the curve in this lifestyle development, but it wasn't always for the better, I assure you. Now this, this cultural shift has, of course, been a great benefit to some who are much better at communicating. If they have spell check and line editing afforded the blogger and the veil of the computer screen can help facilitate. Agoraphobics, those who are afraid of open spaces in the outside, they build and sustain relationships without leaving the home. And those who never seem to find the right words to say in a particular moment are given infinite chances to get it right and nearly infinite avenues through which to speak once they do. I think of a friend of mine from the Unitarian Universalist young adult community whom I got to know over the years, agonizingly shy, perhaps suffering from Asperger's or some other behavioral disability on the autism spectrum. This young man we'll call Tim would dutifully attend conferences and events but would barely speak to anyone. Isolated and seemingly alone, Tim would watch the activities transpire around him a keen but removed observer of the revelry that is a UU young adult conference tailored to college-aged religious radicals. And in person, I think Tim and I have exchanged fewer than a dozen sentences or so, despite my repeated attempts to engage him in conversation. And whenever I did try to enter into dialogue with Tim, his, his gaze would drop to the floor, distorting his eyes through his thick, prescription lenses, and I would receive a series of one-word responses to my queries. But that is Tim in person. 
Online, it's a completely different story. Online, Tim turns from one who utters awkward monosyllabic phrases to a veritable muse of the internet. Long, intricate, articulate, and beautifully crafted sentiments abound on his Facebook and blog pages. The eulogy, the eulogy he wrote for his late father, a triumph of the written word to convey the deepest and most complex of emotions. His thoughtful gifts, recognizing the important events of my life. A set of cups for my wedding, a UU mug for my birthday, a teddy bear for my as yet unborn son, Miles, speaks to a depth of emotion and compassion virtually invisible to those who find themselves in awkward face-to-face -face interactions with Tim. Unfortunately, what is a great benefit to folks like Tim, whose disabilities hide in person, the brilliance and compassion that is immediately apparent when you read his work on the internet. These same isolationist trends are not as beneficial to some of us. We have removed the visible, visceral pain from our daily lives, often without even realizing it. A generation or two ago, the experience of death was all around us. We saw, heard, smelled animals being slaughtered for our food. We saw the suffering of our family and loved ones as they transitioned from this lifetime. We were forced to interact with the community to provide our food, our clothing, our shelter, our warmth. Unlike my experience holed up in a grungy basement apartment in Boston, a hundred years prior, I would have had to go out. Would have had to go out to procure and return fuel. Food for myself and wood for the stove, both of which would have taken constant tending as opposed to a brief interaction with the delivery person or the flip of a switch on a thermostat. Decentralizing our individual resources, like the shift from a family huddled for warmth around a hearth to the post-postmodern equivalent of us all in our own rooms, with our own heat vents and our own individual glowing screens to keep us captivated. This has changed the way we seek, build, and maintain community. Removing the presence of death from our daily lives, only engaging in the pain of loss and grief when it directly affects our own little universe has at times made us callous to the suffering of others and has pushed farther away the deepest questions of our own mortality. We could, in theory, live until the end in ultimate denial, never really experiencing or contemplating or confronting death until our own. I wonder how unique a perspective that is to have, given the the scope and events of human history. But in truth, regardless of the isolation we might feel or even foster, the world has always been interconnected and this has never been so apparent or immediate as right now. As we've seen, electronic 
impulses can carry communications around the world virtually instantaneously. But what types of energy we consume, where our food comes from, what we purchase, and for what purpose, all these things we do here in Wisconsin have an impact somewhere else on Earth, whether we acknowledge it or not. The quality control, or lack thereof, of power plants in Asia directly affects the air quality of seas across the Pacific, including America's west coast. Deforestation in South America leads to global climate change, not just change in the immediate area of the clear cutting. Melting of the ice shelf in Antarctica affects sea levels in Nova Scotia. CFCs released in the United States in the 1970s and 80s created an ozone hole over Australia that is only gradually receding after decades of work. Pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord not only hurts America, but the rest of the globe as well. And a combat veteran who has easier access to firearms and to consistent mental health care can affect us all. Were he to walk into an elementary school, a concert venue, or a Baptist or Unitarian Universalist worship service. This codependence, this interdependence that, whether we like to admit it or not, affects all of us at all times, has always existed. Though it is indeed more apparent and more immediate now. And for millennia, there have been a select few who have reminded us of this reality, this truth. For many inconceivable decades ago, but undeniable today. And we have a word for this, a name of this understanding of the interdependent nature of our existence. Anyone want to guess? Let's say it together. Universalism. Universalism is, of course, the understanding that we cannot separate the good of the one from the good of the whole. That which affects one directly affects all indirectly. That injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That we are all simply in this together. We recognize, like those select few of our spiritual ancestors who did and said these things hundreds and even thousands of years ago, that we are all deserving of love, all deserving of life. And in turn, we are each responsible to the life and love of the rest of existence. And this is not idealism, at least not anymore. It is necessary, it is readily apparent, and it is pragmatic. We are all deserving of care, we all need care. Therefore, we are tasked with caring for everyone. And it's in our best interest to do so. We are all deserving of love, we all need love, therefore we are tasked with loving everyone. And it's in our best interest to do so. We are all deserving of a healthy, 
vibrant planet. Therefore, we are tasked with preserving our resources and our environment, not only for our own benefit, but for everyone's. There's no us and them. There's only we. We who are here right now. We who have the agency and the opportunity to make a change for the better. We who can lift our voices and our bodies and our pocketbooks and our smartphones against injustice toward any of us. We who can say loudly, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, of course, universalism, remember? All Lives Matter, but Black Lives have mattered far less than others, for far, far too long. We who can change the way we use energy so that the poorest of us are no longer disproportionately burdened with pollution, drought, and the devastation of climate change. And we who rest in the confidence that love is not only the effect of peaceful progress, but it is the very means by which we get there. We are Unitarian Universalists we serve ever on the side of love. We celebrate ever our abundance of community and compassion. May it be so. Blessed be. And amen.